brand new at this. So we get started in five minutes? Okay, all right. Okay, you got it. Yes, sir. Okay, uh, well, I'll tell you what, let's get started and uh, we will, uh, let's go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, we're so grateful for your blessings. We thank you for this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would be with us this morning in this class, that uh, everything we say and do will give you the glory and the honor. Uh, thank you for everyone that's here. Bless those who may be on the way. And uh, we just pray that you bless us with your word this morning, that you'll speak to us and uh, bless us that we may learn from you and you may teach us. It's through your son Christ that we do pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, again, good morning. And uh, and I thought this morning what we would probably look at would be, um, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, 1 Corinthians this morning. And what we're going to do, we're going to camp out on... Uh, in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, and we're going to try to look at 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, uh, verses 1 through 13. That's what we're going to try to do. And uh, I'll try not over-talk too much so we can get through the whole chapter. And uh, But before we get to 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, I want to kind of set the context uh, that Paul was... Uh, Paul, who is the author of that uh, chapter, uh, author of the book, was uh, setting. So I wanted to go and look at, first of all, in the book of Acts, the 18th chapter, if you have your Bibles, I wanted to go look at Acts, the 18th chapter, verses 1 through 17, just to kind of set the stage of uh, how he got started and how he started the... Uh, uh, where he was able to uh, begin and where he was able to uh, uh, begin and minister and start to write the uh, uh, current act. So in Acts, the 18th chapter, uh, verses, verses 1, uh, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila and Pontus, born in Pontus, and who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, uh, because Claudius had commanded the Jews to depart from Rome, he came to them. So because he was at the same trade, because he of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked by occupation, they were tent makers. And if you move all the way down to verse 7, and he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. So Paul, uh, in the book of Acts, the 18th chapter, just setting the stage for the book of Corinth. That's where Paul was at when he was uh, 
ministering there at Corinth. And he wasn't able to teach in the synagogue, but he was able to teach right next door as he was uh, getting ready to, uh, he couldn't teach in the synagogue, but he was teaching right next door. So he was able to teach and preach and work with the people there. And if you go to First uh, uh, John, the fourth chapter, verses 7 through 11, uh, since 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, is the love chapter, I want to go to 1 John, the fourth chapter, and I want to look at verses 7 through 11. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can flip over there for me if you don't mind. And I'm just kind of setting the stage since we're going to be talking about love. And 1 Corinthians 13 chapter talks about love quite a bit. I just want to set the stage and, uh, and give you a little bit better foundation for love. And uh, what John talks about here in 1 John verses uh, the fourth chapter verses 7 through 11 and John says knowing God through love verse 7 he says beloved let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves love is born of God and knows God he who does he who does not love does not know God for God is love in this the love of God was manifest toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. Now let's move over to uh, the book of uh, 1 Corinthians where we'll be camping out. And let's go to 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. And as you turn to 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, we find out that Paul is the author of Corinthians, that uh, he established this during his second missionary journey. Uh, the time could be around maybe 56 or 54 A.D. Most scholars agree that he is the author of this book um, there are a lot of different things that you probably know about Corinth uh, and uh, him being the author of the book uh, some of the things that uh, you may know about Corinth what were some of the reasons as you have studied this book that you know about what Paul, when Paul wrote this book, what were some of the things that Paul wrote about Corinth uh, in the beginning of the book? Why did he write this letter to this book, to, the, to these folks here at Corinth? What were some of the things going on? Anybody? They had a number of problems going on at Corinth. Do you agree? Uh, they had divisions going on. Uh, they had a lot of different problems going on, not only divisions, but they had a number of other things going on. Um, people were following different leaders. Uh, they had sexual immorality going on. They had division going on. 
uh, people were kind of doing their own thing. They were mixing the Lord's Supper. They had a list of problems going on. Uh, we won't go through all of the different things, but they had a number of different issues going on. And uh, in Isaiah, uh, in Isaiah chapter fifty-three, uh, it says that we are all like sheep that have gone astray. Each of us has turned uh, to our own way, and this is essentially what had happened at the Church of Corinth, and this is what prompted Paul to write the first letter to Corinth. Um, not only had folk within the church had begun to uh, divide into rival groups, cause divisions, but some folks were going off on deep ends. Uh, Paul called a type of sexual immorality that isn't heard of among the Gentiles. Man is having sex with his father's wife. Uh, they had become extremely worldly in their thinking and acting, so Paul reminds them uh, this worldly wisdom is foolishness to God. Some people were bringing lawsuits against other members of the church. Others were sharing food at the community meals. Um, and when it came to spiritual gifts, they were all trying to be number one. Um, some people have got carried away. Some were saying that my gifts are more important, uh, prove that I'm a Christian better than you. They were even to the point where some were saying that I could speak in tongues and you can't. Uh, my faith is stronger than your faith. Uh, I'm smarter than you. I can be a little bit more eloquent than you. Uh, they were acting like a bunch of spoiled children. But you know, all were seen as adults. Uh, perhaps we have seen uh, sometimes in our own way that people in churches can act this way sometimes when we have different gifts we can become jealous of our own gifts and uh, and this was going on at Corinth so Paul decided to sit down and write them a letter and he wanted to know the basis of everything so in Corinth the 13th chapter when we look at that he's going to start and he's going to let them know that even though all these things are going on the foundation for everything is going to end up coming up to uh, love. And that's where we're going to be camping out and talking about love. Just flipping over here to it right now. I'm trying to break in a new Bible so all my new pages are sticking together. So in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, verse 1, he says, Though I speak with tongues of men and all the angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clinging cymbal. So he starts off by talking about the greatest gift, which is love. <clears throat> now here he's trying to remind them why they became followers of Christ he is allowing God to use them to try to steer them back to their first love uh, in Matthew 22 and 36 uh, they tested Jesus asking him teacher Jesus which is the greatest commandment of the law Jesus replied love, love the Lord our God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind this is the first and greatest commandment 
and the second is like love your neighbor as yourself all the law the prophets hang on these two commandments uh, Warren Warsby offered a simple formula to follow he said the heart of every problem is a problem of the heart uh, you know you can have all the gifts you want to have but if the heart is not right there's something going on uh, I can have many gifts and many different talents but if my heart is not right there's something else would you agree I could be the most eloquent guy in the world, but if my heart is not right, there's something else going on. And this is what Paul is saying here. Now we know that they have different uh, talents and different abilities, and uh, Apollos was known as a great orator, a great speaker, but you can tell when people heart is into things and when their heart is not into different things. And this was what Paul was saying, but I like what Warren Warsby said. He said, the heart of every problem, the heart of every problem is a problem in the heart. In this universe, there is a God, and there are people, and there are things. We're designed to worship God, love people, and use things. If we start worshiping ourselves, we will ignore God and start loving things and using people. This is a formula for a miserable life yet it characterized many people today. The worldwide craving for things is just one evidence that people's hearts are turned away from God. Now we, you know, we all here, we've been living in this world for a pretty good while, and we probably have run across people that are good evidence of this right here uh, as we've lived in this life. Uh, you know when someone is sincere and you know when someone has their heart into what they're saying to us and how much they really love us. And uh, what are some things that you know that uh, it's evident that when a person is sincere to you, what are some of the things that come to mind that lets you know when a person is real sincere to you? What are some of those things that pop up to you in a conversation or in when someone is talking to you or you know when they're sincere in their heart to you what what are some of the things that pop up to you anybody they're there right 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 it's just kind of a natural thing um, um, do they brag about it It's just part of who they are, right, right, right. Um, they don't, no need to boast. No need to go tell somebody, hey, I, I, I helped Joe, and I want to let the whole world know about it. Well, this wasn't going on at Corinth. When they would do something at Corinth, everybody knew about it. Everybody knew that they had to help you out. Um, I had an issue many years ago when, as an early Christian, whenever I did something, I kind of wanted everybody to know. You know, when I uh, left a tip, I just had this thing in there that if I left somebody a dollar, I, I wanted to wait and I, hang, I hung on to my dollar until the girl could see that I gave her a dollar. God bless me, I had to grow out of that. A sign of evidence. Uh, you know when someone is very sincere in what they're doing for you. Uh, you know when someone gives you a good firm handshake. 
You know that by the love that they have in your heart. You know when folks are sincere. And uh, and this is a message that Paul was trying to get to the folks here, right here in Corinth. In 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, it says all of the bad qualities listed is in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Those are lists of things that we know of bad qualities in 2 Timothy 1 through 5 that we don't want to have in our lives. And uh, Timothy lists them there. It says that if we give God his place, he does the same thing in our capacity of love that we did with the willows all. The little boy's lunch and the sea and the uh, sea, the and the sea of the Galilee, uh, and the sea by the Galilee and the fish. He multiplies it in Philippians one and nine. And this is my prayer: that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth and insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless unto the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Love makes requests, not demands. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5, love is not proud, is not rude, is not self-seeking. Uh, in order to develop an intimate relationship, we need to love one another, desire and dream. This means to have to learn to how to express our needs, desires and dreams. To others without becoming ultimatums and demands. Chapman shares two illustrations. Now I don't want to get in trouble here, so I don't know if we will have a lot of married couples in here. So this may get me in a little trouble. My wife is not here this morning, so I could be a little picky. So uh, for the married couples in here, I'll test this out. You can give me a nod or whatever. And uh, so to the married couples in here, don't uh, don't come get me uh, at the end of this lesson. Chapman said, shares in this illustration. He says, uh, and I'm still talking about love now. We're still on uh, 1 Corinthians 13 chapter, and we'll look at this verse by verse. The husband who says, you know those apple pies you make? Would it be possible for you to make one this week? I love those apple pies. Is giving his wife guidance on how to love him and to make him happy. On the other hand, the husband who says, "Have those apple pies since the baby haven't had those apple pies since the baby was born. Don't guess I'll get more than don't guess I'll get any more for the next eighteen years." Has ceased being an adult and is resorting to manipulation. Husbands, any comments from the husbands? My wife's not here, so I could be a little messy this morning. The wife, the wife, the wife who says, "Do you think it? Do you think it will be possible to clear the gutters this this weekend?" Is expressing love by making a request. The wife who says, "If you don't clean those gutters soon, they'll fall off the tree. They will fall off the house. There's a tree growing in them." 
has ceased being a loving partner and has become a domineering mother and she'll get a five-year-old response. Wives? Every... What's that? You get the apple pie because you're in love. As long as you do it in love, everything is in love. Right, right, right. So you can get the apple pie in love, and you can get the gutters uh, cleaned in love, as long as it's done in love. Uh, humble words in love. Um, I like it when the Bible keeps things simple. Um, um, uh, I'll give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I've loved you. Also should love one another. That's the one command how much easier it gets. A little girl writes in her Sunday school, Dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love everybody in the whole wide world. There are only four people in our family and none of us can do it. Yeah, that sums it up pretty good, doesn't it? Well, maybe it isn't that simple. Uh, a young man calls his girlfriend on one evening and woos her with his words. Uh, my love for you is higher than any mountaintop. It is deeper than any valley. I would travel to the stars and swim across the ocean to show you how much I truly love you. With tears in her voice, with tears in her voice, the young woman says, that's the most moving thing anyone has ever said to me. I must see you right away. Can you come over now? To this, the young Casanova replied, I love you too, but it's raining. He'll do everything else, but it's raining. He can't come over and see her right now. Is that love? So, so though I speak with tongues of men and the angels, but have not love, I've become a sounding brass and a clinging cymbal. And do I have the gift of prophecy and understanding all mysteries and knowledge? And do I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not love? I am nothing. So that's clear. I can have all the faith. I can do all these things, but have not love. I am nothing. So you can have the faith. You can have all these things, the things that God said have. Have faith, but have not love. I have nothing. And the Bible wants us to have faith. But you have not love. The basic foundation, the basic ingredient, if it's not built on love, you have nothing. And you know, we, we look at a lot of different things. And we look at God's word. And we know how precious faith is. And we know how precious all these gifts are. And we'll get to 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, that now by faith, hope, and love, and all these three, but the greatest is love. But you can have all these things, and if it's not, if you don't have love, you don't have anything. It's like you can have the whole pie, the whole pie, but if you don't have the crust, you don't have a pie. Uh, if you have an apple pie, you can have the whole pie, but if you don't have the apples, you don't have the pie. If you don't have love, you don't have anything. Verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give all my body to be burned, and have not love, it profits me nothing. 
Turn with me over to um, Matthew, the uh, 25th chapter, and let's look at verses uh, 34. Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verse 34. Matthew 25, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and gave you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And when did the and and the king will answer and say to you, say to them, Surely I say, inasmuch as you did it to one of these, at least to these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, cursed into the everlasting fire of the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. And you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison you did not visit me. Then they answered him. I also will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you then they will answer and say surely I say to you inasmuch as you did not do it for the least of these you did not do it for me and these will go away into everlasting punishment for the righteous into eternal life so this is a good example of what love does love will do that Love will be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And this is in Matthew. So when did we see you do it? Well, this is what love will do. I was, uh, you can tell that, uh, you can tell when people are willing to do this. I run, a, at work I run a, a group, an anger management group at work. And... Uh, one of the groups is a, a kind of get down dirty group and that's an anger management group it's a group where um, clients come in uh, well I do it now over zoom and there's a possibility that this group was going to be run uh, in person and I run it with another clinician and this is where young men and young women come who have uh, anger problems and they vent their anger. So it's a group that a lot of clinicians, a lot of therapists really don't want to run. I mean, they can uh, get pretty aggressive. And because uh, there's anger. And they're sentenced by the court. 
And if they don't come there, this group, this anger management group, they could serve time. They could be uh, get a longer sentence. They could go before the judge, and the judge could ask them, you know, did you go to Mr. Washington group? And um, they could say no, and uh, they could give them a number of times. And if they say no a number of times, they could contact me and say, you know, did they attend your group? And I say, you know, no. And they could give more time to their sentence. And uh, the court asked me, you know, when are you going to do this group in person? And it's fine with me. I'm a man. I don't mind. I said, uh, we could do it in person any time. And it, the court asked me, are you afraid to do it? I said, no, I'm not afraid to do it in person. You know, I can do it in person. It doesn't matter. We have a statement that I have them read rules to be in this group. You know, you will not, you will keep your anger under control. You know, you will do what staff say do. You know, if you need to cool down, you will leave the group. You know, it's just a list of things, the purpose of the group, the rules of the group. You know, you will stick with these rules, these 13 rules of the group. Uh, you will, you know, you will debrief yourself. You will be able to talk yourself down. You do all these different things. And I asked the other clinician, the other therapist, to run the group with me. Um, she agreed to run the group with me just fine. Um, and then a few days later on, when the court asked me to start doing the group in person, uh, and this group is made up of males and females, and uh, it's get up to 20 people in a group. Uh, they want you to run a group when it's more than eight people. They want you to have two people in a group. So if I'm running a group with 20 people and I run the group by myself with over, you know, 20, 25 people, and again, I'm not afraid to do it. I run it just fine. I asked the uh, female therapist to run the group, and she was fine with it. But the moment I said, um, we're going to do it in person, uh, fear came over. And, uh, and uh, I, uh, this may be a bad example of love, but I said, um, it's a whole different thing when you're running it over Zoom and you're running it in person. And, uh, but it, to me, it was a good example of caring and uh, doing things over Zoom versus doing things in person. And, uh, and it was just something totally different when you run something in person and you're having to be with people, um, not so much caring for them, but really caring for them and being in person and seeing them and working with them in person. And I got a lot of pushback from, uh, I can't find out of, out of uh, 16 therapists. Out of 16 therapists, I can't find not one therapist to run that group with me in person. Now, I'm not saying that 16, 16 other therapists don't love people. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that uh, caring and loving looks different because out of 16 people somebody should care or could love a little different and I'm still the only one running that group and uh, and I can have up to 20 some people in a group so caring and loving sometimes is a lot different and I think that uh, in the Lord's church 
that Paul is addressing here about the greatest gift. That's what he's saying here in this book, that even though you have all these different things and the quality, that if you're missing love, love is the key element of everything, that it looks different. Uh, I think one night that I was leaving out of church on a Wednesday night or a Sunday evening, uh, I met a young man that I was leaving out of here on doing our long walkway. And I don't know if anybody else saw him. There was a young man sitting out, a homeless guy. I meant to ask one of the brothers that they see the homeless guy sitting out here on the walkway. Who uh, He was sitting out eating an apple or whatever. And I, walked, and I walked past him. I think I was the only one leaving out of church early that night. And I said, man, what a perfect position to be in at the Lord's church, leaving out, and you're homeless, and you're sitting here where we got to pass by you. I said, this, this should be a lot of love tonight. So as soon as I walked by him, I walked by him, and I came back. I forgot. I like to walk around, but I can't walk around because I got to stay here. But uh, um, I walked by him, and I said, uh, and I had to come back because I forgot I just left out of church. And I came back and I said, can I help you? Is there anything I can do for you? And um, he said, no, I'm fine. I got an apple, I'm fine. I said, are you sure? And uh, it just really touched my heart. And I got in my truck and I drove off, but I said, Lord, he's in the perfect position. But I was wondering how many other people walked by him that night asking him what they could do because I thought he was in a perfect, perfect position to get a whole bunch of love. And I think that that was Paul was talking about here about the greatest gift of love because the other thing I see here is that he says, and though I bestow all my goods in verse 3 to feed the poor and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profit me nothing. Uh, the other thing that Paul is saying in this verse here, he's, he's saying that if you're spending all of your time feeding the poor and doing all these other different things, you know, we can sometimes get so busy in the Lord's church just focusing on us. Does that make sense? That we forget to focus on the people around us. And the church here at Corinth at that time, they were so busy just focusing on their own problems that they weren't focusing on the world about them. They just they had their own mind with their own problems, focusing on their own problems. They're so focusing on them. And Paul is just trying to get them to be able to focus on the folks all around them. He wanted them to see the bigger, the bigger vision, the bigger picture. And sometimes we don't see that. And you know what? When we don't have love, the kind of love that God wants us to have, it stops us from seeing the bigger picture, if that makes sense. Verse 4, love suffers long and is kind. It does not envy. It does not parade itself. And it is not puffed up. When I just use the example about wanting, you know, I want everybody to see what I'm doing, it's puffed up. When I got to tell everybody about what I did, hey, you know, I, I helped that brother over there. You know, I, I did this for Joe. Uh, you know, uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm the preacher of this church right here. You know, I'm, I'm, I preach a great sermon. You know, uh, when I preach or when I teach or I do something, you, call, you walk up to me 
and you say, Brother Washington, you did a great job, and I say to you, thank you, brother. I really appreciate that. That's To me, that's being puffed up. When I do a great job or whatever kind of job I do, and you walk up to me and you say, brother, you did a great job. If I don't say these words to you, that's puffed up, and that's for me. I got to say to you, praise God or give glory to God. If I don't say those words to you, hey, guess what? Brother Washington is kind of puffed up a little bit. I'm kind of getting glory for myself. And that's what they were doing at Corinth. They were kind of puffed up. They were envy of each other. They were trying to outdo each other. You can do this, but I can do it a little bit better. You did this today, I think I can do this a little bit better. And Paul was really trying to drive home the case that, hey, um, it's not about that. It's not about that at all. Uh, you can have the trappings of religion, even display the dynamic signs, but if you don't have love, you're missing the essential qualities of Christianity. A flashing car with no motor is lovely to look at, but it'll take you nowhere. Um, God looks into a person's heart, and if the power and the knowledge and the works are not grounded in love, they have no value. Uh, love is patient, love is kind, patient and kind. Paul in Philippians 4 and 6 says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God. Poet Maya Angelou once said, I've learned that people will forget what you say. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you make them feel. They'll forget everything else. But they'll never forget how you make them feel. Love suffers long and is kind, does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Is not jealous, love does not brag, it does not is not arrogant, does not act unbecoming, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account wrong, suffers, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, does not rejoice with truth, bears all things, believes all things, hope all things. And I can see, uh, as you guys can see, and you have to forgive me, that uh, I just I just can't believe that, uh, James, that I've run out of time. Uh, I got five minutes, and I'm only on verse four. So you can see that I'm way out of time. And um, So y'all please forgive me. Uh, the key to this uh, whole chapter here is going to be in verse 13. Uh, love does not uh, behave rudely, does not seek its own, does not provoke, thinks no evil. Verse 6, it does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Verse 7, bears all things, believe all things, hope all things, and endures all things. Verse 8, love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there are knowledge, it will be vanished away. For we now know in part, and we prophesize in part. But when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away with. 
when I was a child, I spoke as a child, and I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part that when I know, uh, but then I know, then I shall know, just as I also am known. And now by the faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So we have faith and we have hope. And those will be fulfilled. We have faith and we have hope about Christ. But the greatest of these is love. And that's the key. Out of everything else. We have faith that God's coming. We have hope that God is coming. But the last one is love. Love is the key. And love is not fulfilled. And that's the greatest of all the three. Is love. And that's going to be the key to everything. So you can have everything. You can be the greatest of all of all these things. But if you have not love, and that's the key to everything. That's the key to the marriage. That's the key to the Christian journey is love. I can tell you how much I, how long I've been married. I can tell you how many kids I have. I can tell you about my neighborhood. I can tell you about my job. I can tell you everything about that. But if I don't have any love in my heart, it means no good at all. My marriage means nothing at all. My job means nothing at all. I can tell you about the church I go to. But if I have not love, it means nothing at all. And I tell you the other thing about love. You'll know it in my heart. You'll know it in my speech. You'll know it in my prayer. You'll know if I got love by just hanging around me. And I'll know it about you too. Uh, one of the uh, questions that I have that I want to, uh, I had three questions that I wanted to give. And, uh, and just forgive me about my time. Uh, as you can tell, my time got away from me. I had, uh, I had some questions that I wanted you to think about. And one of the biggest questions was, uh, is this kind of love... Is this the kind of love that you have experienced in your life? Has someone given you this kind of love, the love we're talking about this morning? The other question I had is, uh, is this how you love others? When you say that you love someone, do you love them in the way that Paul describes agape love? And this is the love we're talking about this morning. And the final question I had for you was, uh, does this describe your concept of what love is when you think of love is this what you think about when you think about love so uh, any questions uh, not that I left you a lot of room for questions but any questions so far okay okay alright okay well uh, Scott will be back next week uh, thank you so much for your attention uh, and sorry for the rush on the end of the lesson. I'll watch my time a little bit better next time. But thank you for your attention this morning.